This talk is given by a student at Ordinary Mind Zendo. In these talks, senior students explore their personal journeys, share their understanding of the Dharma, and offer encouragement to others in their practice. The talks are unique in that they present a diverse set of voices walking a common path. I wanted to wish you all a happy new year first, and I think this is going to be our New Year's Eve party as uh, Ordinary Mind Zendo today. So I'll try and stay in that festive space. And also, I want to celebrate what Chris had talked about last week, the idea of sanctuary and how sanctuary for me, in ordinary mind, has allowed me to flourish as a human, as a person, and in ways that I am not sure that I would have otherwise. I had a uh, traumatic childhood in many ways. My mother was a very loving mother until she faced some difficulties in her um, early 30s. And her life deteriorated, her support deteriorated. And she was increasingly incapable of caring for young children. And my brother and I went back and forth between my parents. And we became, in many ways, without sanctuary. And in our own ways, I think we started on a journey uh, around seven or eight years old for me of trying to, to find something like a sanctuary, like a, like a child has with their mother. Uh, only for us, that was no longer possible in most significant ways. So for me, I had gone off to McGill University after, uh, in my last year of high school, a friend who was Baha'i had um, invited us uh, friends to a talk on the many religions of the world. And Buddhism was one of them. So each night was a different uh, religion. And the night of Buddhism, it kind of caught my ear. You know, I was there mostly to hang out with my friends. And this talk was um, very appealing to me. I don't remember details. But in any case, when I went to McGill, I studied East Asian studies and French literature and language. And that was a difficult, difficult year for me trying to um, master two languages at once. And I was mostly, though, incredibly lonely. Still had not figured out sanctuary um, at all. But one day I sat in the basement of McGill's library, and I was assigned to read Lao Tzu. And it was a short text, and I don't remember the name of it. But I remember that gnawing sense of loneliness, which was especially acute on Saturday mornings when there was no classes and I was 
determined to study for hours. I read that Lao Tzu short text from cover to cover, and it filled me with a sense of peace that I had probably not felt in a very long time. I soon forgot it, though I dropped out of university because the pressure was too much and the support was too little. And I started traveling around Canada. It was a um, exciting time. I eventually ended up on the west coast of Canada. And one day a friend brought Joko's Everyday Zen to my house. And I remember sitting on the couch and we were reading to each other from it. And I remember reading aloud to her, Zen uh, won't change the lessons that life is going to teach you, but it will help you to suffer them intelligently, essentially. That was not the exact quote, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I practically jumped up off the couch and ran to San Diego quite almost literally the next day the next few days I was on a train down the west coast to San Diego and I showed up at the Zendo in San Diego there was no sitting planned there was no session scheduled there's a Senkai and I just knocked on the door and they welcomed me it was it was lovely and I, I actually stayed for a couple of days and I heard Joko later say, well, that was a weird kind of visit. <laughs> but there I was, you know, chasing down sanctuary. And, um, of course, for anyone who's met Joko, it was an incredible experience to talk with her and to learn from her um, some initial um, pointers for how to sit Zazen. But we didn't have any any great, um, you know, meeting of the minds or anything in that moment. She wasn't particularly teaching. She was, you know, just living her life. And I did continue to go back and do sessions. And I became her student both at sessions and over the phone for a couple of years. And this helped for the first time sort of ground me in a way that allowed me to start to feel what was happening. You know, Joko's instructions were pretty simple. Um, sit down and don't move a muscle. Unfortunately, being the, you know, sort of eager, uh, zealous student that I was, I, I took that very much at face value. And I would sit periods really not moving a muscle. Um, the occasional muscle, she said that, you know, if you were determined to move, that might signal some kind of thought or discomfort that you were trying to move away from. So I was very busy. Oh, that's what I'm moving away from. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll try and stay still. It was a very vigorous kind of practice. And um, maybe that was good. And unfortunately, at some point, I had to. Uh, sort of be farmed out to Diane Rosetto. Um, Joko got very popular um, when the time uh, 
of her second book. And students were coming from all around the world and knocking at her door. And Joko knew I was living in the Bay Area and Diane Rosetto had established the Bay Zen Center. So I was asked to go and study with Diane so that Joko had more room to study or to, sorry, to be with her new students from all over the world. So I did. I went and I, I threw myself into that. And I was very eager there as well. I was living in the Bay Area mostly to study with Diane. And I became Jikido four or five days a week. I would ride my 12-speed up the Oakland Hills and sit and ride back down. And um, it was kind of wonderful in a way and very effortful, very determined to probably get back to that initial feeling I'd had in the McGill University's basement, uh, the library of the basement, that, that feeling of peace, which is eluding me still. And I did Yukai with Diane after a year or so. And I was the work leader for that seven-day session. And this was the session type that was, you know, up at four or five, something like that, and, you know, sitting until 10. And I think increasingly the pressure of that session led to me completely falling apart after the Jukai ceremony. And I think Diane tried to be there for me after that, but it was such a devastating realization that this Zazen, this Sendo, this practice that I was so enthralled with and determined was going to save me had in fact in some ways the pressure of my determination and the style of concentrative practice of of you know sort of working on deep breaths and you know stillness and not a lot of integration of the psychological or the emotional, like Barry has taught us. So I left there in a shambles. I was depressed and anxious. And around this time, I met Barry. And I think I had the good fortune of meeting Barry at a time when I was really broken open in a way that I didn't want to be, but I was. And he encouraged me to return to Zazen. And I was determined not to. And every week or two, he would say, well, I think you should sit. <laughs> I would say, okay. And I wouldn't do it. The terror was so overwhelming. But gradually, every time he repeated that over the course of probably years, Slowly, I would dip my toes back into the waters. And I would go occasionally and sit with the group and feel so incredibly welcomed um, in, you know, just a, a subtle way. And it was nothing, you know, special in a sense. It was just a, a very welcoming feeling. Um, and I think what was in that case missing was the sense of 
any kind of pressure to achieve anything. Um, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but there was a sense of, well, there's no concentrated practice. There's no sort of um, pressure to achieve anything, to to be the um, top of the heap in any sense. There was no hierarchy. I mean, obviously, Barry was the king of the hell, but there was no sense of, um, you know, you're working your way up some kind of ladder. And I think slowly, you know, I swam in those waters for long enough that I realized that, okay, you know, this is, this is a safe place. This is a sanctuary. Um, and that guided me through some big, difficult times, a difficult marriage, um, being a single mother, and being able to have confidence in mothering um, after having watched my mother's life um, deteriorate and her confidence and even her mind in some ways. Watching that happen, I was terrified to have children. And when I had young children, Barry said something very, um, very useful. He said, um, it's okay that there's rupture, you know, because I would make mistakes the way young parents do. Rupture and repair is good. You repair the rupture. And everyone involved knows that there is the capacity for rupture and then repair. And in a way, that's what I had been living, you know, with him for probably a, a decade at that point. So I knew on some level, some deep level, oh, okay, I can do this with my kids, yeah. And I would repair things. I would apologize. I would make it up to them if I did something that was insensitive. And I think slowly over the years, my children have grown to trust rupture and repair and have that kind of relationship with their friends and their, both of their parents, I hope. And so I guess that's what I want to um, encourage for everyone else in the Sangha. Um, if there's a part of you that you hold back from participating in the Sangha or doing Dokasan or um, coming to the physical Zendo or doing intensives, I would encourage you to, to trust this particular Sangha, especially. Um, in the sense that you can bring your life as it is to Dokusan. Uh, like Joko said, you know, there's nothing particularly magical about Dokusan. You, your life is the koan. You bring your life to Dokusan and just present it as honestly and vulnerably, vulnerable, vulnerably as you can. And, and that's enough. That's what I hope for everyone in the new year, that you can find new ways to engage with Barry, with the Sangha. The Sangha is so helpful for getting through, whether it's a life full of trauma and loss and loneliness like mine, or whatever new stage you could be facing. You can email Barry. He's very available. Like Chris said, he responds to the squeaky wheel. It helps to be a squeaky wheel. Email him. He will email you back quite promptly, usually. 
And with a really fulsome answer, I have found. And I think you will too. Um, show up to the physical Zendo if you're in New York or close by. And enjoy being in that space. And join the intensives. Come to Garrison. Come to San Rafaela. Find a way in the new year to, to drop your blade of grass and say, there's your sanctuary. It's right here.